guys, welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie Olivia, and we have a special guest today, all the way from Australia, Kendall. Hey! If you're in our group, you know her. <laughs> and we're here. We made it past the end of the world, according to Lori Vallow, who said the world was going to end on the 22nd with Jesus's second coming. But looks like we all made it through okay. I mean, 2020 sucks, but we're still here. <laughs> I read a comment that said what Laurie and Chad did on the day and they said they just kept to themselves and read the scriptures and which, you know, I would have loved to have seen it. Even just for a little bit, I would have loved to watch it. I need like a comment from them on like, so the world didn't end. I found a, um, a quote about what Chad actually thought was going to happen. Do you want me to read it out? Yeah. It says he claimed to have had visions of two earthquakes hitting Utah as a sign <clears throat> of the impending judgment day. The first one is moderate and disrupts life for a few weeks. Many older brick buildings crumble and roads suffer damage, but repairs are made quickly. Who's repairing roads in the end of the world? (laughs) And then I saw a quote from Kay Woodcock, who's Charles's sister. It says, to tell Laurie is a chosen one that she's now a god and it's now up to her to help vet the 144,000. I think it's July 22. I don't know what's going to happen on July 23. Nothing happened. Spoiler, nothing happened. He was a good woman, but he was a liar. <laughs> Just for reference, it's actually July 25th today in the United States. So we're, we're pretty much in the clear. Like the world's not ending. Yeah. We're a few days past it. Think we're good to go. No matter what time zone you're in, it's not July 22 anymore anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, we have Kendall with us today, which is very exciting. She has been wanting to come on and we thought that this would be the perfect episode to talk about. I've been lurking around. I'm listening to you guys on repeat. I've been very excited to get amongst it, particularly for this one. Thank you for inviting me on. Today we're going to talk about Mostly Harmless. Um, that is the person's name for anyone who hasn't heard this story. He goes by Mostly Harmless and Denim. It's the story of an unidentified person that they found dead in July 2018 and still haven't identified him to this day. But mysteriously enough, tons of people seem to know who this guy is even have pictures of him but no one knows his actual identity so we are gonna get into his story today i know this one's been really popular in our group and we've got a a kirsten did an awesome blog for us on it it's been one of those ones that i think is just so fascinating because there's so much information and it's just unbelievable that he hasn't been identified yet absolutely this is the only blog of ours that i'll just be scrolling on reddit through various threads like various true crime threads, and I'll literally see people posting our blog because I guess it has a lot of information by comparison to other things, but it always trips me out a little when I see like our blog posted and like a bunch of people talking about it. I love it. Yeah, it's such a good blog. It's got a good timeline, heaps of, you know, backup information and all that type of stuff. So it's really, I've, yeah, I think she did a great job on that one. Whenever I see it on Reddit, I like want to comment and be like, oh my God, this is me. <laughs> yes. But- but I don't want people to like know who I am and like look at my Reddit. <laughs> okay, so let's begin. Let's say you wanted to disappear tomorrow. What would you do? Well, for starters, you'd ditch your cell phone. Everything from your name to your location and bank accounts are tied to it. And you'd want to get rid of your social media accounts. Things like Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Facebook might even need to dig way back for that MySpace page. But let's be honest, you should probably delete that one anyway. And you'd want to stop using plastic too. 
Credit card transactions can be monitored from the second that you swipe, so unless it's an Amazon purchase, your location can be instantly traced to a brick and mortar shop. Finally, you'd want to stop using your name. Now let's say that you set out into the woods to disconnect. You're gone for months and months, and one day you die in the middle of the Florida Everglades, 1,300 miles from home. How long do you think it would take before someone figured out who you were? How long before a relative saw your photo online, or an old college roommate spotted you on TV? How long before your mom dialed police saying, you know, I wondered why my last 300 phone calls went to voicemail? This happened. On July 23rd, 2018, friends Nicholas and Logan were hiking at Big Cypress National Preserve in Collier County, Florida, when they encountered something strange. A tent just off the trail. It was only tent the two had seen, and it seemed out of place. Through the screen door of the tent, the two could see a man lying there. Logan called out, but didn't get a reply. Nicholas started to walk away, but curiosity got the best of Logan, and he decided to get a closer look. After a few moments, Logan called Nicholas back over. Do you think he's dead? He asked. Call your county 911. What is the address of your emergency? Um, I'm at Big Cypress National Preserve. Is that on, on Alligator Alley? It is. It was off of 75, yeah, Alligator Alley. Okay. Um, are you on the preserve, though, or are you still on the highway? No, I'm, on the, I'm in the preserve right now. I'm trying to walk out of it. Okay, yeah, because I'm, I'm using your phone here to okay, get the location. Cool. Um, no problem. And what is your name? I'm Nick Horton, or Nicholas Horton. And what's the phone number you called us from? Thank you so much. And did you need the police fire medical? Uh, we just found a dead body. Okay. Are you on the trail? Yeah, I'm on the trail, and then the dead body is at the Noble, um, Camp Noble site, right at the, um, kind of at the end, but when you kind of, like, start to turn around to come back. Yeah, it's in a tent. Like, I just, like, we walked by it. And I don't know, we thought it smelled strange or something kind of right. in it. And it's kind of curled up. Yeah, it just it looked like one body. Okay. And was, were, do you remember the color of the tent? Um, yeah, there's only one tent out there in this whole place because we just walked the whole trail. Okay. And it was like a small red and yellow and yellow. yellow. It's all yellow tent. Oh, it's an all yellow tent? Okay. Yeah. And when you did see the body, did you check on it to see if it was breathing or anything? Yeah, I mean, I didn't touch it. I looked at it. We yelled, hello, but he looked really skinny and really, um, like, I don't know, like a weird color. According to the police report, Logan told them he was in a yellow tent at Camp Noble. I yelled hello repeatedly with no response. Upon looking in the screen door, a gentleman appeared to be deceased. We started walking back. EMTs picked us up until the police arrived. And Nicholas told police, and this is according to the police report, I saw a man lying in a tent that appeared to be lifeless. My friend Logan approached the tent first after we stopped briefly to eat a granola bar and look for drinking water. He called me over to ask if I thought he was dead. I looked in and thought he was dead. We walked down the road. Neither of us went inside or touched the tent. Um, there's a whole, just to quickly interrupt, sorry, there's a whole bunch of photos online. Um, we're trying to work out if we can release them because there's 185 photos and some of them are quite graphic. They show this man, you know, dead in the tent and all that. And there is there is a photo of him in the tent, I'm assuming, before they entered the tent. And you can absolutely 
a million percent till he's deceased. <laughs> like there yeah. is no, um, yeah. you know, no ifs or buts about it. He's lying there. He's, his face is. Um, he literally looks like a skeleton. Like he's he so like, thin. Ah. We'll get into it about how skinny he was and, you know, what actually happened. But you can tell just by lying in that tent. He's, I'm just getting it up now. Hold on. Sorry. But what's There's the water. story with the photos? Like how do we have them and how are they maybe not allowed out? I don't know the whole story behind that. They were sent to us. I am not 100% sure how they actually became or got released. I've, I've tried to figure out if we can post them. The answer is we're not sure. Um, apparently someone is writing a book on this and that's he got the photos. Yes. So through the freedom of information, from what I can see, and it was only through his posting asking similar questions, um, he had entered in for the freedom of information and he got it into dribs and drabs from what I could see as well so again it's not super clear but it looks to me like he got photos and then the notebook photos second like into sort of lots Mm. but again that's just from sort of looking on the forums and stuff so it's not super clear but it all seems to go back Most of the photos haven't been released by the police. Like I know that they they did release the notebooks and all that a little while ago, but um, obviously they didn't release all these death photos. Mm. Um, Yeah. So anyway, we do have them. We'll figure out if we can put them up. But the photo that I'm referring, the specific photo I'm referring to in terms of the tent is he's lying there right up against the screen door. His one arm is kind of up on his chest. The other arm's down by his side, um, you know, he does. He looks skeletal. Like there's no. It's interesting. Do you remember the outrage when they released the sort of composite they put together of the face? And everyone was like, holy shit. I remember like that's the first thing I remember of this case was the composite they released saying, do you know this man? Yeah. And everyone was outraged by it being like, ah, that's a skeleton with skin on it. The composite to me, I know when it first came out. It reminded me of what you would see in a museum when they have like fake setups of cavemen and stuff almost because he's just so yes. thin with his beard and it it's hard to describe. He doesn't look like a real person, but that is what he looked like. He yeah. looks like a model like figure almost. Yes. On sworn statement, a podcast released by the Collier County Sheriff's Department, Nicholas recalled the man being really skinny and a weird color. Police arrived and began their investigation. A homicide investigator on the scene determined the man's death was not a criminal event, and the medical examiner determined that he'd only been dead for a few days. Along with the body, they found a notebook, $3,640 in cash, and the man's hiking gear. What they didn't find was any form of identification, no driver's license, no bank cards, and no cell phone. So who was this man? Surely someone must know him. Someone must be missing him. Who were his family? His friends? Where were they? Police began trying to piece together the man's identity. First, they ran fingerprints through databases with no luck, and then they cross-referenced missing persons cases in the area, but none of them seemed to match. Finally, they created a composite sketch, which was what we were just talking about. And they released it with a public bulletin asking for information. They said the man was likely between the ages of 35 and 50. He had salt and pepper hair, a beard, and excellent teeth, but with no dental work. 
It's been said many times his teeth were apparently perfect. Yep. He was five foot eight and weighed only 83 pounds or 37 kilograms at the time of his death, which he must have been alive weighing that much if he had only been dead for a few days, which is yeah. kind of insane. You think that if, if, you know, even if he lost, I don't know how it works in terms of how they weigh someone who's been dead for a little while, but even if he did lose some fluid, there's no way he could have become that skinny in, you know, say, let's say three or four, even even a week. I don't think yeah, his no. body would have deteriorated that much to become that skinny. Mm-hmm. I feel like he was definitely almost that thin when he was alive. He must have been because we've seen bodies, pictures of bodies that had been dead longer that aren't like thin. I think if anything, you usually bloat, don't you? You're right. Like I remember Liv and I were speaking about it at one point and I remember trying to justify being like, oh, maybe he'd been out there a while and survivalists, you know, they hit a point where they do flat it. But no, 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 100%. Once I saw all those photos. Yeah, it looks like his... You hit it on the head so early. Yeah. It looks like his bones are going to break through his skin. Yeah. Yeah. The photos are actually quite shocking. Like, it looks like... It does look like someone who has starved to death. Like, he's just bones are everywhere. It's not very nice. But somehow outlived beyond where most people would die during starvation. Like, that didn't dawn on me until I saw what we saw, really. Yeah. And, yeah, you're 100% right. Like, you hear 83 pounds and you're like, whoa, that's super skinny. But when you see the pictures, it's still shocking because it's hard to picture how thin someone who's 83 pounds is. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. All right, so he was wearing a beige shirt, green shorts, and black Solomon hiking boots. The tent was a yellow Brooks Range two-person tent. It was also noted he had a small, faint, linear scar on his abdomen. I find that interesting because the scar, when you see the photo of it, isn't small to me. It's a very, very long, no. large scar. So I don't know. Maybe it's they say small because it doesn't go up, I guess, his whole entire chest. But it basically goes from his, I guess, pubic line up to underneath his rib cage. So I'd say that would be, I don't know, like at least, say, 20 centimetres. No, I don't know, inches. But it's, it's not a small scar. No, when I was reading the autopsy, that was what, kind of kept bugging me was the way that they kind of spoke about the scar it was that yeah it wasn't predominant that it was very faint maybe a scar but then later on they do talk about there being sort of some internal membranes it was obviously a scar I just think whoever wrote it it may be a little bit I don't know signals yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe that day they didn't have enough coffee or something <laughs> is kind of what I'm picking up from that autopsy. Just because, like, yeah, I'm like, it's not a faint. You could see it. Even when that um, there's a photo of him alive where you could see through his shirt, there's actually kind of puckering in the middle of his stomach where that scar is. So, yeah, I'm coming to the conclusion that, yeah, maybe they wrote that first thing in the morning before all four coffees had kicked in. <laughs> It's my only theory. (laughs) So while the sketch, the composite, was highly criticized, as we said, it worked. Because hikers who had crossed paths with him on the trails and in hostels began putting together the story of his life. Immediately after we made the press release, we started receiving information. We started receiving information from the people who, from the Florida Trail Association and from the Appalachian Trails, from the hiking community. We did get a lot of uh, uh, tips from them. 
We also received tips from people who thought they might have been missing loved ones uh, from different states. And also, we got where people felt they were wanted by somebody. So it, it was a, a myriad of, of tips that we got, but most of them did come from the hiking community. And eventually, we found a trail that, where he started out with, with the trail named Denim. From these hikers, police learned he was possibly born in Louisiana, but lived in New York where he worked in the tech industry, and he was on his way to Key West, and apparently he could only hike about 10 miles a day, he told someone. They even had photos of him, and they knew his trail name. It was referred to himself as Denim or Mostly Harmless. But even with all this information and all these photos, still no one knew who he actually was. It was also discovered he made a living by working at hostels and campgrounds that he stayed at along his journey. This gave police hope because most hostels need a real name to check in under, not a trail name. So after some digging, this led police to the name Ben Billamy. Mostly harmless was, in fact, Ben Billamy. Case closed, you'd think. But not exactly, because mostly harmless is Ben Billamy. But Ben Billamy is just another alias name that this man used. And ultimately, another dead end. It's so crazy that they didn't ask for ID. Like I know, you know, especially I think it's since nine eleven. Anywhere you need to check in, you, I thought you'd need ID. You know, you'd need to have some way to confirm your identity. So even though they need a real name, you could really just write down any name. It seems. Yeah. What's the point of needing a real name? Yeah, I know. Like, why, what's what's this policy? <laughs> it's very strange. I was gonna say it could be to do, and we'll get into it a bit further later, but. It could be to do, so put it this way, if I were a trail angel and someone were coming through and they were looking quite gaunt and skinny, I probably wouldn't push for ID. I, if they seem nice enough, I'd probably let them go because a lot of the time people out there are trying to escape Yeah, something. like I'm sure there's a lot of people there trying to be off the grid, but it just seems weird. Mm -hmm. But you'd think they, exactly, you would think there'd be some more protections in place for said trail angels and hostel workers but yeah yeah maybe maybe this will change something who <laughs> maybe yes exactly photo and id no exceptions <laughs> i guess i guess it's kind of like the point of hostels though it seems kind of mm -hmm. kind of lax all right so he had camping equipment obviously what about his camping equipment where did he buy it maybe he used a debit card or a credit card Maybe you bought it online and had shipped to his house. How did he pay for them? So after seeing the bulletin that was released by the police, a man named Bob Gabrielson, he is the proprietor of Top Georgia Hostel and Hiking Center. He recognized Mostly Harmless from when he purchased the tent he was found in in his shop. My name is Bob Gabrielson, and I'm the proprietor of the Top of Georgia Hiking Center. I'd say we probably see a few thousand hikers a year. There are a lot of people hiking the trail that are basically using it as a pilgrimage, a therapy of sorts. Um, people are hiking off um, lost marriages, war, war memories, um, illnesses, uh, things like that, uh, trying to find themselves after college and after retirement. Everybody is sort of in the same boat. It seems they're all on some sort of transition, you know, they're getting out of school and what's my career going to be or, all right, it's near the end of my life and now I'm retiring and what am I going to do and I better do this quick while my knees still work. 
it's unusual in, in what's happened in the non-identification, but it's actually not as unusual in the drama of it and the mystery of it as one might think for us. When I saw the thing go out online um, of the individual's picture, I immediately recognized his face. I have a really good memory for faces, but of course, well, I can't always place a face. Was that a hiker? Is that a friend of my ex-wife's? Is that somebody who gave me onion rings through a window? But the thing that got me right away was his gear, his backpacking gear. His jacket that he was wearing, a Brooks Range jacket, and his tent that they showed, his yellow Brooks Range tent. Um, nobody along the trail, as far as I know, sells those. It's like a $300 tent. It's technically a two-person tent. I call it the condo because it's so big, but it's really light and it has a lot of room, and so you and the dog or your, you and your deer can get in it. I did find it interesting that he bought uh, a tent like that, which is a pretty big mountaineering tent um, that we had a hard time selling at the tail end of his hike. Um, but he said he was going to keep hiking on, so Bob dug through his receipts only to discover the transaction was paid for in cash and that he checked into the hostel under the name Ben Billamy. So, so close, but still so far. So as more and more people came forward, a timeline started to be established. So I'm going to go through the timeline that's been put together. And just to clarify, he is referred to as Denim and Mostly Harmless. They're both the same person, but he seemed to use the name Denim earlier in the timeline and then Mostly Harmless later in the timeline. So on October 7th and 8th, 2017, he was in Damascus, Virginia, and he ate at Damascus Pizza Co. Bar and Grill with other hikers, and they even took some photos. So in the photos, he looks happy, healthy, and has a huge red backpack. He doesn't seem to be avoiding the photos as an attempt to hide his identity or anything like that. He stayed at Woodchuck's Hostel and was stuck there for two days because of Hurricane Nate, which made landfall in Mississippi. In the photos from that hostel, like he's, there's one, there's one photo of him with another woman and then there's a photo of him by himself and he's literally just smiling for the camera. So there's like, this wasn't <laughs> like a photo that he just happened to be in. This, this, he was the sole person in one of the photos smiling and, you know, looking at the camera. So yeah, he definitely wasn't trying to hide his face. No. And you could see in the photos, like, he's generally, like, a thinner guy, but he has, like, muscle. Like, his arm looked like it has muscle in that picture, so definitely not 83 pounds. Normal weight, you know, like, slightly thin, I guess, but, yeah. Maybe, like, a little fit. Yeah. From there, about a month later, on November 22nd through the 26th of 2017, he was in, I forgot to look up how to say this, Hiawassee? No, I think so. Hiawassee, Georgia. And sorry if that's wrong, and I insulted any people from Georgia. <laughs> so he was there. He checked into the top of Georgia Hostel and Hiking Center, which was where he purchased that tent we were just talking about. A week later, on December 2nd, he was in Blairsville, Georgia. So the distance between Hiawassee <laughs> to Blairsville is about 14 miles. As far as we can tell, he left Hiawassee on November 26th, which would mean he only covered 14 miles in a week. 
So that had us wondering, could that be a sign of illness or weakness or something that he was only able to hike such a short distance in the time? Or maybe he was just up to something else. No one really seems to know. I had a quick thought that you could probably slot in, in before the last point about where he purchased the tent. So it's weird to me that he was spotted October 7th and 8th hiking, but he didn't buy the tent until the end of November. So where, what was he doing? Did he have another tent? Maybe something happened to it. You know, it's just I never really thought about that. But it's interesting that he was more than six weeks into a hike when he purchased a new tent. So I wonder what the deal with that was. He could have had one and it broke yeah. or he could have been over ambitious and like maybe gone out because as you know, I watch all my survivalist shows. So I'm like, hmm, if I got stuck in a bush, I'd just grab all these branches and I'd do this and I'd make <laughs> and a, them together. a triangle-shaped shelter. Exactly. So maybe, you know, he was like, cool, I'll go off grid, bugger my tech industry, you know, that old chestnut goes out there thinking, oh, gee, look, I've got backup money. I've got all this stuff. Let's see what I can do. And maybe he quickly realized, yeah, that's a little bit difficult and freezing <laughs> when you can <laughs> buy a swag and have a little bit more shelter. Like that that could be the go. I don't know. That's just my It little, could be. You think he'd take the backup with him, but like he obviously just kind of wanted to get away the sense I have. And as we go on, some of the other hikers who talked about him did say he seemed like a newer hiker. So it is definitely a possibility. Yeah. Had some weird, weird, you know, clothing and things. So yeah, that could, maybe he just really had no idea and he purchased the wrong type of tent. So he needed to get another one. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was yeah. the case. Okay. So on December 2nd, we were just talking about a photo of him was posted on the Facebook page for the shop Mountain Crossings at Wallacee Yee. And it says, this is Denim. He worked in the tech world for the last decade. In June, he went for a two-week hike on the Appalachian Trail in New York. Today, he passed through the shop. Hiking over half the Appalachian Trail wasn't enough for him. He printed data and purchased maps to hike the Pinhoti Trail in Alabama. He has a site set for Key West, Florida. Bon voyage, Denim and some hashtags. I know in the original um, statement they said that he was between 35 and 50. So if you kind of cross-reference that to them saying he worked in the tech world the last decade, you know, I, I know he could have had a job change, but maybe he was younger than that. To me, he doesn't look 35 to 50. To me, he looks probably, you know, 30 to 40. That's what I would think too. So, you know, that would that would line up with, you know, maybe going to college and then starting work when he was, you know, early 20s. Mm-hmm. So that would be a decade that he worked. You know, obviously, we don't know. This could all be a lie. It could just be some story he made up. But if it is true, um, you know, for me, that's an interesting point. Maybe he's a bit younger than the, you know, estimated age. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And look, I think it's the one kind of bit of information we have that lines up. He had enough money. And he would have been able to make that money in that field. And he had some knowledge in that area. That's kind of like the one idea I like to pivot off so far. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we've got. But it's, it's annoying because it's like there really is so much information. Yeah. But nothing else. Like Nothing. Yeah. All right. So Matt Mason, the person who took the photo for the Facebook page and rang up his purchase, made a comment on Reddit last year saying, 
Way late to the party, but I took this photo and rang him up for the maps and printing costs. He paid cash. We did a triple check on the days he could have passed through, as it's common for people to make multiple transactions, but no luck. So on Soren's statement, they interviewed Matt, and he remembers Denim was looking to connect the Appalachian Trail to the Florida Trail, and when he paid for the maps, his wallet was thick with cash. Like He said he had a ton of cash in his wallet. A handful of people who encountered Denim recalled him having no electronics, no cell phone, no GPS. He was only using these maps. Two days later, on December 4th, 2017, Denim was in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which is about 22 miles from his last stop in Blairsville. In the two-day period, he would have had to travel more than 10 miles a day. Someone on Reddit with the username Darkbird is home, met him during this time and left a few comments about their conversations. They said, I met him in December 2017 at Springer Mountain Shelter. We were the only two, so we talked late into the evening and we went pretty deep. Cut ties with his parents because his dad was abusive. Told me his dad took him out in the yard and tried to fight him when he was a teenager. We shared a few stories about our mutual abuse. I really don't think he would want to be returned to his family, if I remember right. It makes me so sad. I just spent one night slash morning with him, but the hiker bond is strong. He was a really sweet guy. I'm happy he at least made it to Florida. Another comment by her in reply to someone else, she said, or he said, he did. He started in New York and lived there prior to. If he mentioned a hometown, I don't remember it. I've already given police everything I know. Then another user commented and said, I saw your post about your encounter with Mostly Harmless on the Appalachian Trail. I hate the Appalachian Trail and I'm looking for clues to his identity. I looked up his trail name, Mostly Harmless, and found that it is the title of the last book in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I also found a post from Wallace C. Yee where he was registered, where he registered describing how he was employed for 10 years in New York City in IT work. Do you recall anything from your conversation with him that might be helpful? And then Darkbird is Home, the original poster, said, The trail name would make sense as he loves sci-fi and fantasy. We talked for about five hours at camp and had about two more hours of interaction the next morning. I also know he was named Denim because for the first two weeks on the trail, he wore denim jeans. I knew about him being in IT. He didn't talk to his parents, I believe because of an abusive father figure. He had an ex-girlfriend he mentioned, but I don't know her name. I think he had a sister as well. Nothing I remember is in great detail as this encounter was eight months ago. So the denim jeans goes with what we were saying before, as people were saying, he kind of seemed like a novice, like he just up and left and decided to go hiking. <laughs> like yeah, Just unprepared. Yeah. Like, like, I don't hike, needless to say, but I wouldn't wear denim jeans if I were to go hike. Especially the Appalachian Trail. Like, it's not like he was just going for a hike for a day. This was obviously going to be a long, long, long hike. You just think jeans probably Mm. wouldn't be the first choice. But yeah. maybe the jeans and those shorts, even like I don't know. I think the shorts, like I know, maybe you should wear longer pants because it's you know to stop getting scratches yes. and all that. But it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot in Florida, you know. And they seem light and yeah. like they would dry easily if they got wet. So I don't know. I think that the jeans for me are definitely a weird choice. But obviously, I'm not an experienced hiker, so maybe the shorts <laughs> are weird too. <laughs> well, just for the sleeping, like. Like being found in the shorts, and he was obviously laying down. He'd lo- he'd zipped himself in. Mm. I'm just wondering if he'd only left him. Like, yeah, maybe along the way he just let things go and left them behind or something. Because you'd think he'd be freezing at night and a little pair of shorty shorts. Yeah, I don't know. 
So he was next spotted on Salem Church Road, which is south of the Alabama-Georgia state line. Detectives believe around this time, while in Alabama, he started using the name Mostly Harmless instead of Denim. On January 24th, 2018, about eight months before his death, he made an appearance in Crestview, Florida, where he met Kelly Fairbanks, a trail angel. So for those who aren't part of the hiking community like myself and have no idea what a trail angel is, a trail angel is someone who helps through hikers or long-distance hikers by offering them showers, meals, or anything else they could do to help them. So Kelly knew him as Mostly Harmless and was the first person to match the composite sketch to a photo she took of him. She took a photo of him holding a sticker that she had made for hikers on the Florida Trail. Right as I pulled up to him, I was like, I introduced me, myself, I told him we're trail angels, and then we had gotten out to talk to him so that he wasn't standing on side of my car next to a road. Highway 90 is pretty uh, trafficked. So that's the reason we got out of the car and we're just standing there talking to him. With the hikers, I'll give them a sticker for them to keep, and it has S through hike on it. It's just something we've been doing here in Florida to kind of promote our trail to get more traffic on our trail. And he agreed to take a picture with that little sticker. So we stood there talking to him for maybe 15 minutes. Um, he had told me that he had started in New York and was heading down to uh, Key West. And I asked him, was he using the Florida Trail Guide app and he said, no, I'm not carrying a phone. And I said, what? What do you mean you're not carrying a phone? And he's like, well, I just wanted to disconnect. You know, sometimes people want to do that. And I was like, I get it. I said, so how are you finding your way on the trail? And he told me he had just been following the blazes, and he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket, and it was a probably 8 by 11 piece of standard paper, and it had a picture of the entire state of Florida on it, with a line drawn through where the trail would go. And that's all he was using as a map. She offered him a shower and a place to stay, but he declined. She gave him a bag of snacks, and they parted ways. As time passed, she found herself worrying about him and even asked other hikers if they'd run into him on the trails. She said he seemed like a new hiker, carrying an enormous tent, not having a phone or GPS were rookie mistakes in her mind. In her mind, not mine's. It's, oh, I know we've spoken about this offline, but it's interesting to me that she calls the tent enormous because it, I, I know it's it's noted down as a two-man tent, so maybe that is enormous for one person on a hiking trail, but I, it doesn't seem too big to me. Like it looks quite no. small and claustrophobic. I'm with you. I guess that's something to do with the pack maybe because his backpack is huge with it, but then yeah. unsworn, like I don't know anything about tents or hiking, as I said, or any of this stuff, really. But on sworn statement, the guy who sold him the tent was talking about it and said that he remembers having a hard time selling this tent, actually, because I guess it's more like a mountaineering hike, like for climbing mountains and things like that. So I don't know if that makes a difference. But he even said that it was a very odd tent for him to buy. See, the tents got me confused because, yeah, he. so the guy that sold it said that. Then in the police report, it's referred to multiple times as a small one-man tent. Looking at it, it, yeah, talking to Olivia, it looks to me like what we call a double swag. Mm. And I guess it's unusual because he was by himself. But 
I wonder if it more so has to do with like I don't think it's as unusual. The type of tent or something. Yeah, I think that you're right because that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Like maybe it was super insulated and heavy for what he you was said doing. mountaineering. Yeah. If there's exactly. any tent experts out there and want to <laughs> let us know, please <laughs> definitely let us know. Let us know because it, it is a great mystery. Yes. The tent debate. We need to know. <laughs> so Mostly Harmless was next spotted in Monticello, Florida on February 22nd, 2018. And this is about a month after he met Kelly. So the distance between Monticello and Crestview is about 176 miles, which seems like a lot. But if you break it down to a daily mile rate, it's really only five or six miles a day. So here he met two women who go by Snapper and Sugar Rush, their trail names. Snapper made a post online that said, We walked two more miles down 98 until we entered Oscilla WMA again. Not far in, we found a flooded trail and ended up having to splash through. It was in this section that we encountered a southbound hiker named Mostly Harmless. He was doing the trail without GPS or detailed maps. I don't know how he has gotten as far as he has. Both Sugar Rush and I have had issues with the route, even with our GPS position in hand. We exchanged trail information for various sections going into greater detail than usual to help Mostly Harmless out the best we could. It's two days later, which would bring us to February 24th, 2018. Mostly Harmless was seen in Pine Log State Forest in Florida. So the distance between this location and its previous location in Monticello is about 135 miles, which is a long way to go in two days. So we think there's either possibly a discrepancy or maybe he hitched a ride, but something seems a little off about that. So on Facebook, a woman named Beverly, who met him there, said, we were camping at Pine Log Campground the weekend of the 25th of February, 2018. The guy had spent a night or two there and left on the 24th, headed for the Florida Trail. Told us all about where he started from and that he had been staying with his sister in the Sarasota or Fort Myers, Florida area before starting. Told us about him working in the tech field. Talked with him for a while. Was a nice guy. In another comment, she said, also talked about some health problems and needed slash wanted to do it while he still could. So that could factor into why he could possibly only hike around 10 miles a day, he told someone. Yep. So on March 17th, 2018, Mostly Harmless was spotted near Paisley, Florida. It was a whopping 327 miles from his previous location at Pine Log Forest. If he hiked the entire way, it would have mean he hiked 16 to 17 miles every day. So this is four months before he'd be found deceased. And a hiker who met him on the trail said he looked thin, but nowhere near 83 pounds. He told this hiker he was from New York also. There's a photo of him from this stop, and he can be seen wearing the beige shirt and green shorts he'd be found deceased in. He does look thinner in the photo and generally a bit worse for wear. The man he met in Paisley left a comment on Reddit using the username Why Have You Forsake Me that says, He said he got his trail name mostly harmless while hiking the Appalachian Trail. He never mentioned being called Denim. I can't remember the exact details, but a hiker asked another hiker, who's that guy? The reply was, he's mostly harmless. Or he replied, I'm mostly harmless. And he kept that trail name. A trail name's common on the trail. You don't have to take a name if you don't want. Your trail name becomes yours when you begin introducing yourself with that name. It's really just a way, yeah, of kind of having a different persona while you're on the trail. A lot of people are out on the trail to find themselves 
there are transitions between a job, the military, college, high school, some of them. Um, it's definitely a transition kind of period for many people, so I think people are searching. And so trailing is a kind of a way to fill that identity a little bit differently. And as you get more comfortable with people you're hiking with, whether you're seeing them daily or, um, you know, maybe every couple of days and you meet them at a campsite or a shelter, depending on which trail you're on, um, you might open up a little bit more and, and tell your real name and kind of give more of that background of your, your, your so-called real life off trail. So as we mentioned earlier, Sun pointed out that Mostly Harmless was also the final book in the series Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he spoke to various hikers about his love for sci-fi, so maybe that could factor in. But who really knows, honestly? This brings us to mid-April 2018. A trail angel named Mike Gromley crossed paths with Mostly Harmless just outside of the Seminole Indian Reservation, which is part of Big Cypress National Park in Collier County, Florida. So this is where his body would be found just three months later and only a few miles away at Camp Noble, which is also within that national park. So it's believed Mike was the last person Mostly Harmless made memorable contact with. We probably talked um, 20 to 30 minutes um, along the roadside in the uh, Seminole Indian Reservation. Um, but my feeling uh, about Mostly Harmless was that, man, this is a guy I'd like to get to know. You know, he was really nice, well-mannered and uh, um, polite. I'd like to hike with this guy a little bit if I had the chance. He was carrying about 50 pounds on his back, and uh, that's a big pack load uh, when you're walking in 85-degree temperatures. He had mentioned that um, he still had winter clothes with him. Uh, man, I said, <laughs> why are you carrying, you know, send that stuff back home? And um, I even offered to him to, uh, to take his winter clothes off of him and mail them back, but he declined. So... He told Mike he was going to hike down to the southern terminus of the Florida National Scenic Trail, which is 45 miles away from their current location, and he talked about making his way down to Key West via the Eastern Continental Trail. On sworn statement, Mike said there was enough time between then and when his body was found that he could have gone there and back, but nobody really knows if that's what happened or if he just stayed there and didn't move for three months. But that's really it as far as sightings of him and the timeline that has been established. Just quickly, can I say, how cute is all of this chatter about the trail angels? <laughs> like, I know there are people that do that, but I just love this. There's this whole little underground network of trail buddies and people named Sugar Rush, and I love this. I was thinking the same thing. It does seem like a nice yeah. community to be a part of. I mean, if... Seems like a very supportive one. Yeah, and all these people, they came together. Like, I know Kelly, the first trail angel, like, she was one of the main people who really pushed, like, getting his photo out there on, like, Facebook groups. And it seems like they all kind of came together. And it would be nice to be a part of it if I liked being outside. <laughs> when we lose our shizzle, like, let's go. <laughs> Off we out. I'll be called, like, Red Angel. You can be... <laughs> We can all have a name. I think it's lovely. But also, exactly, they're the ones that have given us any information in regards to this human being, you know? I also think it's interesting how many photos were taken of him just by, like, random other hikers. Like, I just... He left an impression. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Like, I feel like if I just met someone, like, I wouldn't be like, hey, let me take a pic of you. <laughs> well, it depends what mood I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> so that was the last known sighting of Mostly Harmless before he was found deceased on January 23rd, 2018. Before we get into his death investigation, we figured it'd be helpful to summarize everything that has come to light from the hikers that we kind of just went over. But just so it's all in one solid list. So he checked into hostels using the name Ben Billamy. He used the trail name Denham along the Appalachian Trail and then switched to Mostly Harmless sometime in Alabama and used that name while on the Florida Trail. He told people he was from New York, possibly Brooklyn, where he worked in the tech industry for years. He may have quit his job right before starting this journey. One thing before you go on, sorry, is that he kept, like, it seems like a lot of his story was very consistent. Like, mm-hmm. he told a lot of people about the New York and the tech industry and everything. So, I don't know, I guess there's two options for that, that either he just said, okay, this is what I'm going to tell everyone, or that that was actually the truth. Know, who knows? Maybe he chose that to tell people as it was the complete opposite to what he actually did. Yeah. You know, depending on what, yeah. what his purpose was. But it, it was very consistent. Like he didn't, he, you know, he didn't tell people different stories. It was generally all the same info that he gave everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can confirm, jumping on LinkedIn and trying to figure out someone who worked in New York 10 years ago, not not very helpful <laughs> and kind of impossible. Um, but I put that challenge out there if anyone can figure that out. A lot, a lot of people work in New York City in IT. <laughs> exactly um so yeah he told people he was from new york possibly brooklyn um he also may have been born in baton rouge louisiana no one ever mentioned him having an accent or anything like that someone actually said he had no accent he mentioned having an ex-girlfriend and a sister his sister may live near sarasota florida he told other hikers he was working on a hiking app and his notebook was filled with computer coding He had no ID, no cell phone, and traveled without a GPS, and he didn't seem like an experienced hiker. Like we said, he wore jeans early on, didn't carry GPS or phone, something was up with his tent being weird, and his backpack was very heavy. So, further investigation after this. Um, The trail went cold pretty quickly, but in February 2019, the Collier County Sheriff's Office released their podcast sworn statement to try to get more information on him out there. In June 2019, Collier County released the contents of Mostly Harmless's notebooks that were found with him. So they contained a lot of computer coding and some recipes for protein bars. So we're by no means experts at computer coding, even though I did take computer science in college, just a humble brag. <laughs> but we did some Googling. On a forum on Screeps.com, a user named JNARC outlined some of what was found. He said he appeared to be designing a game, and the language he uses is very similar to what I found searching around on Screeps and Overmind. Parentheses, I don't know much about gaming or code, so forgive me. He mentioned room planners, room managers, creeps, spawns, miners, exits, haulers, towers, warriors, etc. He mentioned two worlds, including an algae pond and a roach motel. He also mentioned the... Nanites or Nanites Guild. So I'm assuming you all know what Screeps is, right? No? Definitely. <laughs> well, we didn't know what Screeps was either. Screeps is an open source MMO RTS or mass multiplayer online real time strategy game for programming enthusiasts. 
wherein the core mechanics is programming your unit's AI. You control your colony by writing JavaScript, which operates 24-7 in the single persistent world filled by other players on par with you. So my basic translation is that it's a game where you write code to control your colony 24-7 so it would run without you present, right? And the one thing I also took from that is that you... So you write, write the code so it can run by itself, but then the code also needs to be updated as the game progresses. Yeah, like when other things happen, so, you need your colony yeah. to do other things. So Yeah. So another user named Root... Not it. <laughs> Summer, pot? I don't even know. <laughs> just, just another user whose name we'll have on the blog. He summarized what was in each of Mostly Harmless's notebooks. So there was a small notebook, and he said, one, these were pages with the possible exception of the lower left. Oh, and side note, like pictures of all this and stuff, if you want to look them yourself, they're on our blog. The notebooks. Yeah, we've got photos, Those photos, photos are out of there. the notebook and the transcripts and everything up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so two, seems scrapes related, although a bit opaque. The bottom right seems to be a room layout. Perhaps someone here would have more to say about it. Three and four, this is non-scrapes information. It appears to be some other RPG game. Terminology is generic. Five, the top upside down page is definitely scrapes related. I can't positively identify the purpose of the code on the bottom of the page or on the bottom page. Six, the top upside-down page is a continuation of the listing from five. The bottom page has to do with some other RPG game, possibly the one on page three and four. Seven through ten seems scrapes related. In the large notebook, eleven, this appears to be a table of contents for the large notebook. Each number in the listing is a section, which then appears on the pages themselves in the section, page number format. 12 through 15, this is the section on P2P.BAK. Although not scrapes related, I can characterize it pretty confidently as some kind of design for a network protocol. As best as I can make out, you would use this to back up data to a variety of other computers in some kind of distributed peer-to-peer fashion. One interpretation is that this is supposed to be a blockchain protocol. The design for this seems to be very preliminary, and I doubt it's referencing any actual implemented protocol. It may be more a more recreational or a fun exercise. 16. This is the section on ELL. I'm not sure what to make of this section other than it groups computer science topics under two very vague headings. I might see something like this as course notes for an introductory class. 17 through 18. This is the balanced nutrition foods <laughs> section. This appears to be a comparison of different waffles and their nutritional profiles mixed in with some notes about how they came out. I've made things like this section before when I was trying to evaluate which brand of food to buy as a dietary staple. I'm not totally sure I understand all the variations, though. I don't know of any foods that comes in, quote, high protein, quote, super high protein, and extreme protein variations, for example. So I guess that was what he was labeling them as. Um, 19 through 33, scrapes section, scrapes related, more info below. And then 34 through 40, this is the Nanit's Guild section. This is not scrapes related and appears to describe some other multiplayer game or RPG. Not aware of any games like this, and it could be an original design. So you guys still awake after all that, or what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes! So on the Nanit's Guild 
portion. That's kind of where I started to dig in a little bit because I was like, this is interesting. If if he's, you know, it could be an original thought that he's just had while he's out and about. It could be something that had existed prior. So I was sort of digging around and I found some old sort of forums for Windcraft, which seems to be like a side server, side thing for Minecraft. And there was actually a guild <laughs> named this. And the reason I bring that up is because it's also kind of in line with the fact that this might not have been on a main Screeps server. It might have been something on a different server. It might have been something on a completely different service entirely. But my main question about all of this is, right, so the theory is he has gone off grid or he has gone on extended leave and he has no tech with him. So why would he be doing this other than simply maybe to keep himself sharp is my theory. Like, what do you think about that? Why do you guys think that he was actually engaging in this process? Um, I thought it was weird, too, because I know from the... Like, was it was he coming back magically? Like, you yeah, know what I mean? I mean from the little computer coding, computer science I've done, like, it's very helpful to be able to actually like, test the code out as you're doing it, kind of. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're just writing it in a notebook and then you're going to write it all into a computer, it's going to be hard to find out where you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also kind of, you're doubling up. Yeah, the only third thing I can make from it is maybe he's trying to keep himself sharp. Yeah, maybe. I think, too, there'd be a lot of time where he's by himself. Doing you know, nothing. Probably sometimes he would have gone for days and days without seeing another person, maybe even longer. Um, I just, uh -huh. like, for me, I would, you know, I think that this is probably just what he did in his downtime. If he could only hike, you know, X amount of miles per day and he had to rest a lot, maybe this is just how he occupied his time. Maybe he thought of, like, different scenarios yeah. and scripts and coded for them just to be like, oh, this is what I would do in this situation. And I've read um, some more information about the protein, you know, the nutrition stuff as well. And basically a few things I've said um, reference that there was recipes for protein bars. So maybe this is something that he was, you know, planning on working on eventually. Like, you know, he used the time to kind of start developing that. Yeah, but it does make the point that yeah. it does seem like he planned on not dying on this hike. Like, I feel like all these things are things that he wanted to keep going, you know, keep doing when he mm -hmm. finished hiking. So, yeah, it's interesting. Also that he, one thing, he didn't want to send his winter clothes back to his house because he probably, if he's trying to hide his identity, probably didn't want to give up his address or anything like that if he even had an address. But also maybe he wanted to keep his winter clothes on him because he still planned on being around for yeah. the winter. The next winter, yeah. Yeah. So after his notebooks were released, people tried to figure out his Screeps username, actually, by searching for someone whose code hadn't been changed since that time that he would have began hiking. Like Olivia said before, the game changes, so like you would need to change your code to adapt to whatever new situation, it seems. As far as we know, nothing came of it. I don't think anyone was able to really figure out who he was, but it was a pretty good idea. Hmm. I think it was a good idea. It would have been very hard to execute because I'm sure there's people who just stop playing every day. Yeah. Um, you know, for whatever reason. But it was a good idea. You know, maybe they could have narrowed it down to a few people anyway, but mm -hmm. I don't even know how to yeah. go about it. They had some of the devs searching on GitHub just to see if any of his codes in particular were popping up anywhere because he had quite a few really standout 
um, unique kind of names for things within his code. Mm -hmm. Things like hauler, manager, they were sort of looking through, trying to find if that popped up anywhere, and they couldn't see anything. It would have been a great story if that was how they figured it out, like movie-worthy story. Yes! It's kind of like, I didn't watch Don't Fuck With Cats, I know, but kind of like how they solved who Luca Magnata was or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'd love it. On the waffles as well, I think this might kind of link up a little bit later. Like, it was just one of the thoughts I had because when he was found and when they did find these notebooks, he had quite a lot of provisions. As mentioned, he had, you know, over $3,000 on him. Mm In our scale, he weighed 37 kilos, which I think I weighed when I was about six, you know? These waffles, like, weren't doing much for him, clearly. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. Like, the waffles, maybe the testing of different ingredients and trying to, like, maybe he was testing with the flora he had around him as well. I mean, we'll talk about it more later, but I think he definitely had some sort of illness or something. Something going on. So, this year, actually, 2020... Um, his autopsy was released, which was big news for us crime and death creeps because we've been wondering what's going on. It definitely was. <laughs> the document, mm-hmm. it's eight pages, and it actually ended up leaving us with more questions than it really answered. We touched on it a little bit before, but the autopsy almost seems incomplete, which had us wondering if it was maybe like a light version that was released and not all the details. I found two things in there. I think it's two things, particularly interesting anyway. Like a lot of it is just basic, you know, this is unremarkable about a lot of his organs. But one thing I did find interesting was that they said, I'm just trying to find it exactly. It says the large bowel has abundant formed feces. Right. Which is interesting to me because he, like, you know, and then they've they've got his what, his main cause of death as pronounced, is it? Catch, I don't even know how you say it, cachexia? Yeah, it's like cachexia. Cachexia, which, which I know you've written down. It means... It says, um, wasting sorry. away due to severe or chronic illness. Yeah, so it's interesting to me that he wasted away, but he still had feces in his bowel. So that's, you know, and I know... And lots of urine. Yeah, I've spoken to Amy, another friend from the group, Amy, and her suggestion was that he possibly had a bowel obstruction, which I think is a good theory because that might also explain the scar. Mm-hmm. So maybe he had this in the past mm-hmm. and he was very prone. I don't, I don't know how bowel obstructions work, but, you know, if he was prone to it and he was suffering with that, maybe that is part of this illness. It could also um, be why he was kind of like writing down notes about certain foods, like maybe. Yeah, yeah. To maybe sort help of dietary whatever his, issue. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He was writing down like protein levels. I think doesn't like pro- if you have too much protein, it, like can that make you constipated? I'm not sure, but I think. Well, this is why it can. So my perspective as someone with interesting intestines, <laughs> I have, I have, I have a mild knowledge on this area, um, but also in hand in hand with survivalist issues. One of the biggest issues you have if you do go bush is if you exclusively eat protein, it backs you mm-hmm. up. And then it's very hard to find a natural fiber source that has enough fiber in enough quantity that you have access to for you to be able to pass. So I don't know if anyone listening's ever watched Alone, but people have definitely tapped out before because they've gone over a week without having a movement. And that kind of impedes them from I wonder if it, um, doing things they need to do. I wonder if it goes along with it being like a rookie mistake because maybe 
was walking so much, carrying such a heavy backpack. He was like, I need to make sure I'm eating mm-hmm. a lot of protein. But really, he kind of just screwed himself over and backed himself up. That's what I'm wondering. The autopsy just raises so many more questions for me. Like I know Kendall just mentioned too about the urine. It says, the urinary bladder is distended with copious and nearly opaque brown urine and has a white, gray, smooth mucosal surface. So I don't know. You would think that the bladder wouldn't be full at the time of death, especially. I don't know, you know, but maybe he was just so weak. Yeah. I've don't don't just got so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> empty out like you're. Yeah. Well, bladder I, that, I thought your bowels and your, your, you know, bladder usually release when you die in the I sometimes. That too. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that makes me think, like, you know, if it was a bowel obstruction, it seems to me like he was lying in, my theory anyway, is that he was lying in that tent for a long time. He only died a few days before he was found. So that was July. He was in the same area in April. So, you know, obviously he could have gone and come back or whatever. But like, I feel like he, there was time for him to get help if he needed it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he was that mm-hmm. far off the trail. It no, seems like he was this only was drawn like out. five miles away from mm. like anything. It seems like this was a drawn out thing, which which also makes me think maybe he knew he was dying, and that's why you know, which I know goes against what we said before about he didn't plan to die. But just another theory is that maybe he knew he was dying, which is why he didn't seek help. But if he knew he was dying, why is there nothing in the in the autopsy that supports that? These are some of my questions from the autopsy. So. My theory is he knew he wasn't well. Whether he knew he was dying, I'm not sure. But that's my theory because, again, back to the cachexia, however the hickory heck you say it. regards to the wasting, you can see he obviously had it from the photos and within the autopsy, it notes in there very strongly. You know, there is a lack of muscle and this is a lack of, you know, losing muscle, wasting muscle, wasting fat at the same time rather than just fat. So... That leads to him likely having the chronic illness, which could be many of, we'll get into that. But the thing that's kind of baffling me is he had provisions on him, yet his stomach was empty. Like they, the, uh, all they found in him was already formed feces. So that's also interesting. It's like, did he just choose to stop eating towards the end maybe because he was so backed up? Like, or was it just a... He could have lost his appetite too. Like I know with some illnesses, you just mm-hmm. like it's literally hard to eat because you don't have an appetite. Mm-hmm. It's also weird how like they mentioned his scar, like we said, but clearly like, scars from a surgery or like an operation. I just think it's weird that there's no mention of like what could have been done yeah. like internally. Yeah. Another theory that Amy came out with was maybe he had a liver transplant, um, mm-hmm. which I get, you know, also is a viable theory, but I would think for sure that would be evident in the autopsy. And I know we were talking about possibly being something like that because in some of the later pictures, he does look very thin, but his stomach almost looks bloated. Yeah, so I know, like distended. Yeah, with liver, things you could ah. build up or things like that. In that last photo, which I think, um, I'm just trying to find the exact date, it was March. He does have very big bags under his eyes. Like he doesn't look he definitely looks well. Like his stomach <laughs> is very big in that photo too. And yeah, he doesn't, mm-hmm. he does look skinny everywhere else, but he's got the bags under his eyes and kind of the large stomach. Yeah. Yeah. So in just to summarize the autopsy, like the whole thing's on the blog, if you want to have a look, it's based, it's pretty unremarkable. There isn't anything, you know, super revealing in there, but so at least three main findings at the end. So the first one is pronounced cachexia. The second one, which we haven't spoken about, is the discoloration and abrasion of the shaft and the glands of the penis. So 
I'm just finding what it says here. It says the genitalia are those of a male. The shaft of the penis near the glands has a focus of purple discoloration and abrasion. The testes are within the scrotal sac and are markedly small. So we won't spend a lot of time on this, but there is a photo in the group of his genital area and there's something definitely not quite right there. It looks like there's blood or like tissue or something Mm -hmm. or like like that thick like gross blood it looks like there's been something has happened i don't know i'm hoping it was after death because it looks painful um yeah it's there's something going on there i'm not sure what it is like it's 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 happened and there's it's stained through his underwear so the first photo is this is the underwear with the stain from whatever has happened here and then this, the photo just shows his general, you know, pubic and genital area. So it is unusual. I, I don't know how, what that has to do with how he died, obviously, because we don't know really how he died. But it's just an interesting. Another mystery. Kind of, mm. I just found it interesting because, you know, he's got a bladder full of, bladder full of urine and a bowel full of feces. That's what I was thinking then- too. So it's not, it's not pee and it's not poo. Yeah, but then he's got a randomly bleeding phallus um, that's not really dug into at all in the autopsy. Like maybe it was some sort of bug after death entering. I don't know. Ugh, but, like, stop. Think, I'm sorry. I'm I didn't even to think of that. All weekend. I've been trying to theorize all weekend. But then I'm like, you think they would mention. It's, yeah, it definitely seems like the autopsy is just like a light version. Yeah. And even like. There's the toxicology in the autopsy, which I would like to know more about because it's they've, it says they've tested his blood and his urine, but in his blood they found presumptive findings for diphenhydramine, which is Benadryl, as we know as we now are. from the, from the tooth. I feel like thing. I can't get away from Benadryl, like since we recorded Benadryl, that and then the other one is ibuprofen. So I don't know, like I know, for instance, in the Kobe Bryant autopsies, I'm pretty sure they all came up positive for some presumptive findings for drugs, which were actually negative. So I don't know, like there's nothing further in the autopsy to say if he actually did have those in his system but I would I wouldn't doubt that he may have maybe he was using Benadryl to help him sleep and the ibuprofen was a painkiller for whatever he was going through Mm. so that was interesting but yeah there's nothing additional so I I suspect they have held some things back maybe these things will help identify him all right shall, shall we keep going yep okay so then July 15th of this year so pretty recently the Collier County Sheriff Department announced that they intended to use forensic genealogy to help determine who mostly harmless is their statement said it would take about 12 weeks to sequence mostly harmless's dna and a genealogist would use that sequence to build out a family tree using a public database so the process of mapping a family tree can take days weeks or even months to produce maybe a possible distant relative the dna sequence that is used for genealogy is completely different than what police use to match DNA for to crime scenes and people. So that's why it takes longer. They police also they don't have access to commercial databases like Ancestry and 23andMe like a lot of people assume. I actually didn't know about this until I started researching for this. So instead what they use is GEDmatch. And GEDmatch is an online service that compares the DNA data files from different testing companies. And the website gained significant media coverage in April 2018 after it was used by law enforcement to identify the Golden State Killer. So the difference between GEDmatch and commercial DNA companies is that people choose to upload their DNA profiles to GEDmatch, knowing that it could be used by law enforcement. 
So if you do an ancestry test or whatever company and you get your DNA profile, you can upload it to GEDmatch to help police solve crimes or unidentified people because Ancestry and 23andMe have blocked law enforcement from using their databases. The Collier County Sheriff's Department, they asked the public for donations to cover the cost of testing and services needed. The goal was $5,000, which was reached. And I saw a lot of people on Reddit talking about it, saying they donated it to the cause. I mean, it's nice to see how invested all these people are. Like we said, the hiking community seems like they really came together, but also just a lot of random people like us with no connection to the hiking community. Everyone seems to want to find out who this guy is. One thing I will say too is I think the Collier County Sheriff have done a really good job on this case. They've been really big on making everything public. Very transparent. Yeah, a lot of information. Their podcast was really, really interesting. So if anyone wants to learn more about this case, definitely check out the podcast, which is sworn statement, as Steph Steph said. But I think they've done a really, really good job. Yeah, it kind of seems like they want to work with everyone, whereas most of the time they want the public to basically go away. Exactly. (laughs) And they're actually using, you know, a current technology to discuss cases. I love it. And instead of just saying, like, it's expensive to do genealogy and like I, there's definitely been mm-hmm. investigations where like, oh, it's expensive. We can't do it. They went to the public and asked for donations and they got them. Yeah. And the thing is, there'd be no real benefit for them, the, you know, the sheriff, to get this closed out. It doesn't make a difference to them. Like if he's unidentified, it's not going to matter. It's probably just as annoying to them as it is to us in a way because it's like they probably yeah. have even more information than the public does. And just now it's like there's so much information, but it just does nothing. <laughs> Yeah. Like they literally have pictures of this guy and like people who know him have met him, but it doesn't matter. So as we were talking about before, the photos, they were also released this month in July. Um, like we said, we don't know if all of them are allowed to be out, but some some are out, right? Like some are. Yeah, some of them are public. I've seen like we've we've put some up on our blogs. They're not graphic. There's some. There's one of his scar, which you know is his stomach, but you can only see the scar. You can't see much else. There's his tent. Like the tent is a big, big mess. There's it looks like a hoarder tent, really. Mm-hmm. But I know. So I think it was. I can't remember who said it, but someone said that they can smell it from here. <laughs> like it, I feel like it was Kelly. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> The photos start of the scene, so there's like a picnic table and then they have, take a few photos of the tent, you know, the brand of the tent and everything, and then it show, it's kind of like a series, so then it shows you him lying in the tent, what you can see from the outside, and then they obviously, I, I'm a, I think they must have gone into the tent, which would have been horrendous because he doesn't look. He's like basically a skeleton. He's so bony. He's, you know, there's a photo of him where you can see how uh, collapsed, I guess, his stomach is and, you know, into his ribs and all that type of thing. Like they're not nice. There's one foot too that looks like it's got black. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's gangrene or something like that. Like it doesn't, there's something going on with one of his feet. Hmm. Um, and then it goes through and shows you the tent, the notebooks, you know, everything that was found around. They've also taken like a, a photo of their phones with the GPS coordinates. So, and, you know, then the notebooks, which the notebooks were released a while ago, I think. So they're not new. It's just that we personally hadn't seen these death photos until recently. Foot thing reminded me that that's also a sign of various diseases. Like I think diabetes, Mm. you're more prone to that. Yeah. But I mean, that's really it as far as the story that is known publicly. Um, I know it has brought up a lot of debate because people are trying to figure out who he is, who his family is, um, trying to in a sense, bring him home to his family. 
but some people are arguing that he clearly talked about having an abusive father, didn't talk to his parents, apparently. Maybe he wanted to just disappear. Maybe he doesn't want to go back to his parents. Maybe that's why he went on this journey. So is it, do we, the public, the police, do we have the right to figure out his identity and do maybe something he didn't want necessarily? But then again, who really knows? And it's also just like a common theme in literature, movies, pop culture, kind of going out into the wild to find yourself, like the movie Into the Wild. Yeah. There's a movie Wild. They all have the name Wild in them, apparently. But yeah. Something happens. And even one of the hikers or someone on Sworn Statement was saying the same thing. Like a lot of these long distance through hikers, usually they're going through some sort of transitional phase and they want to find themselves, disconnect, like they might be going through a divorce, they might be going through loss of a loved one, they might have gotten a bad diagnosis and just want to do this for themselves. So, And, you know, he's not, he, there's, he's clearly made an effort to not use his real name for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, we don't know. Like I know people have speculated that he was wanted for something, um, you know, for whatever the reason is, but he isn't the first person to do something like that either. It reminds me of the case of that Lyle Stevic. Do you guys remember that one? Yes. So he was a bit, his case was older in 2001. So it was September 16. So it was right after 2011. He uh, took his own life in a motel in Washington, Amanda Park in Washington. And he was unidentified for like 17 years. He was finally identified in May 2018. I remember them identifying him, yeah. So he told, you know, checked in under the name Lyle Stevick and when they looked up that it was obviously a fake name, he'd taken it from the book You Must Remember This, which was written by Joyce Carol Oates, which, you know, that's kind of similar maybe to the mostly harmless name here. You know, obviously we don't know why. It's all speculation, but it could be he had given a fake address and when they looked it up it was a motel somewhere, you know, just a random motel. So it does happen, I think, sometimes where people either maybe, and the thing is, when Lyle was identified, he does have a family. They did miss him, but for some reason, I don't think he'd ever been reported missing. They just assumed that he'd gone to do his own thing. And you hear that happen quite a lot. Like I know some people were missing for decades and they've never been reported missing just because the family assume that they're, you know, off doing their own thing or that they don't want to be found. So hell yeah. Oh, I, you guys would have to report me missing. So like, <laughs> but 100%, like, that's how you do it. You leave all your tech behind, change your name, change your story, disappear. It seems to me, too, that one other interesting thing in terms of him not having any ID, like no bank cards, it seems like maybe he was just going on cash. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he the guy who we bought something, I think he bought the maps from, said he had a whole wad of cash in his wallet, which is dangerous to carry, I guess, that much on the trail as yes. well. Yes. That clearly shows, too, that he really maybe totally wanted to not be identified by his transactions. I mean, he he could be a criminal, but I certainly yeah. don't think that he is bridge guy from Delphi, like a lot of people are suggesting. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Please. I know that yeah, we've no. been recording for a while now, so I'm not going to get, like, super, super into it. But <laughs> it is a theory that a lot of people, crazy people, are trying to push that what if he is the guy who killed Libby and Abby? And yeah. I think all three of us think that is absolutely <laughs> not true. Like, sure, Hang anything on. can happen, but I don't see I think it. you said there's a 99.9% chance that he's not. I think it's a 100% <laughs> chance that he's not. There's a line up here, though, Steph. If he had kept walking from that day in Delphi, he <laughs> may be this skinny now, you know? <laughs> 
Listen, <laughs> he's, he's not even wearing a blue jacket, so. I know. Don't. I've been ignoring those. I can't. I feel it. quite sorry for the police because I'm no have no doubt that they've had tips on that. Like when I was going through some of the police reports for this case, I saw someone called it in that they believed he was Johnny Gosh. What? I think is that how you say oh. his last name? Yeah. So that might be that might anyone, be even more crazy. <laughs> for anyone who's not familiar, I think Johnny Gosh is one of the most um, famous missing kid cases. He went missing in 1982 while he was delivering papers. So there's a whole but you know again we won't go into it. But someone actually said that like the police had to follow up a tip that it was Johnny Gosh. Well, that's what the problem is with yeah. like, that's why police don't always love Facebook groups like ours because with Delphi, how many people called in the same tip about the yeah. same person that took up their resources just because they saw something someone said online. And then like, I yeah. get it. People are just trying to be helpful, but it does take away resources from the police because they have to vet all those tips. So I mean, don't call on a tip unless, like, it's really credible. With Delphi, I think people always suggest it because everyone, it was such a high-profile case and everyone wants it to be solved. But there is literally, you know, I'm not hesitant to say that there is no way this guy is bridge guy from Delphi. I only said 99.9 because if somehow it is him, I could be like, hey, I said 99.9%. One other thing I wanted to take note of was that I did try to research his alias name, Ben Bellamy. And thought maybe, you know, because Mostly Harmless was a book, maybe he got it from something like that. The only similar thing I could find is that there is a character on the show The 100 on CW named Bellamy Blake. And it is a sci-fi show and it is also kind of a survivalist show because I think it's about a group of 100 people who are basically sent back to Earth after the apocalypse to try and live. And this guy is kind of becomes a leader of them. Um, I've never watched the show, so if that's wrong, I apologize, but that is what I've gathered. So, I mean, it seems plausible, but who knows really, but there is no just like Ben Billamy out there that I could find. No, but you have reminded me too. I would like to shout out, alas, asked on one of our blogs to look into the game Don't Starve by Cry Entertainment on this case. I'd like to confirm I have looked into this. But I have no freaking idea what I was looking for. I was like, maybe she thinks one of the people who made it is this guy. Hmm. It's just because it's a survival game about not starving. But I spent three hours trying to figure out what I was meant to be looking at. So if you are said lass, feel free to expand and I'll <laughs> continue my rabbit holing. I looked and I saw nothing other than another survival game looked up Don't Starve and it says is an uncomprising wilderness survival game full of science and magic. Enter a strange and unexplored world full of strange creatures, dangers and surprises. Gather resources to craft items and structure that match your survival style. Is it like a video game? Yeah. Yep. Maybe it has to do with the coding. Yeah, it was made in Canada it says. Yeah, I went down this hard and I really can't see anything I'm just looking into it a little bit more and on Wiki it says, the game follows a scientist named Wilson who finds himself in a dark and dreary world and must survive as long as possible. To this end, the player must keep Wilson healthy, fed and mentally stable as he avoids a variety of surreal and supernatural enemies that will try to kill and devour him. So that's interesting. But Hmm. see, police get given leads they follow to no end. We get given leads. leads. (laughs) (laughs) But we follow them. So do bounce your theories off us, please. Love it. I know one other thing I didn't really mention, but 
in the sworn statement podcast, they said that they couldn't really tell like where he was before, like between New York and where the timeline started in Virginia. I did see some people saying online that he started hiking from New York in April 2017. But I don't know if that's just people guessing that. But on sworn statement, they said they didn't know basically between Virginia and New York. I mean, it's very foggy. Yeah. I mean, hopefully more people come out and recognize him. I find it interesting that he did mention a sister in Sarasota in Florida. So you think that this, like, this seems like it's been quite publicized down there. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe, she you know, seems I guess like the always... closest chance maybe to figuring out who he is. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the sister thing could be a lie or someone could have messed it up and got it wrong. All that could way, be a lie too. I know. Even the ex-girlfriend though, like, <sighs> if you'd heard the story, wouldn't be like, hang on, my ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. Danny was, you know, always talking about lighting fires and shit when he hated work. Like, you know what I mean? But like- also, <laughs> I think it's it's big to, like, pretty much everyone that's into, like, crime or sure. history yeah. crime yeah. knows about the story. Sure. But then, like, people who have asked me, like, what's your next podcast going to be about? I'm like, oh, Mostly Harmless. They're like, oh, what? So... And the thing is, that's I think we true. just assume that everyone knows because we know. But, you know, there'd be other areas where someone said, did you hear about this person who won this dog show? And I'm like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I've got no idea. If you, don't, if you don't run in those circles, true. you wouldn't, I don't think that you would always come across it. Yeah. That's so, true. I mean, it is known, but some people don't care to know about these subjects. So, yeah, I think they just need to go to Sarasota and just post the flyers everywhere, which, <laughs> I mean, they could have done already. I'm just, that's, that seems like their best chance at this point. So that's really all we have to talk about with Mostly Harmless. Um, If you guys have any thoughts or theories or any insight into any of this stuff, definitely let us know. Like you guys have heard many times, be sure you're in our Facebook group. That's where we tend to talk about most things. We have our blog and you can always message us, I guess. I don't love when people message us unless it's about stuff (laughs) like this. If you're messaging me to complain about the group, I'm probably not going to answer you. Uh-huh. Message me to tell me about the <laughs> podcast. I'll probably answer you. But, we probably won't answer if you message us to talk about Bridge Guy either. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I will definitely not answer. <laughs> but we have a few ideas coming up. Um, I read today that Jeanette, our friend in the group, has put together some amazing info on the Michael Shaver case. For anyone who's not familiar, Michael Shaver was a missing man in Florida and he was found dead eventually under the fire pit in his home so his own fire pit so his wife we all think is very guilty but this has been going on for years and years so it's been quiet for years now yeah I know and she's remarried and all this stuff so she's just out there living her life when we all kind of know basically she's a murderer anyway allegedly allegedly Allegedly. so we've got that coming up and then the other one I know Lozzie's been working on as well with some info for us is bodies that have been found in suitcases. It's a juicy. Which is an interesting. A juicy one. Yeah. So we should have those for you in the next few weeks, hopefully. Like I said, like I said in the group anyways, but to say on the podcast, 2020, as we all know, it's kind of a crazy year. Um, I am going through some family emergency type things, which is why we've been a little delayed with getting podcasts out there last week. Things could be a little bit more sporadic because I know collectively we, we've all got some stuff going on. So <laughs> just bear with us. We're not quitting. Hopefully we're not my leaving. stuff is done now. My stuff is now done till 2030. No more stuff. <laughs> no more things. Let's all pray that all of our dramas and issues <laughs> and emergencies are done. Yeah. 
And I'm sure that won't be the case, but we can hope. <laughs> um, also to bring up, in our last episode, we joked about not having a tagline anymore. And some people did bring to our attention that they missed the tagline. They want the tagline back. But we had a little bit of an issue with it because I guess someone else was using it. And <laughs> that's why we just stopped using it. Since we are generally out of ideas now, if you guys have any ideas for a tagline that aren't used by anyone else, please let <laughs> us know. Maybe we can have like a contest and you could have bragging rights that you came up with our tagline, but don't try to cease and desist us, please. <laughs> and check out the blog, for, especially for this case, just type in mostly harmless, or I might actually re-release it so it's at the top of the blog, but um, there's heaps and heaps of photos and more information on there. And leave us a great review. Don't leave us a bad review, please, because we get very sad. And if you, <laughs> if you liked Kendall being on the podcast, let us know. Maybe we'll invite her back. <laughs> if I'm allowed. I've been very good. I have not sworn. Although I do have an idea. I think our tagline could be, see you next Tuesday, bees. But I feel like that might not work. So this is why we're throwing it out there. Thank you for having me, ladies. I'm excited. Although I probably won't listen to this one three times because that will be creepy for me now. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope everyone has a great week and insert tagline here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>